0: All right, what a joy it is to welcome all of our church family and all of our many church friends to our online campus today. Thanks so much for choosing to worship with us through this format. Before we turn our attention to our message today, I just want to take a minute to try to give you a word of encouragement. Uh, I want you to know that when Sandy and I pray for our church, and I'm talking about our Mount Pleasant church family as well as all of our Impact Campus families, uh, we Pray for a couple of things. First of all, we pray for God's blessing and His protection uh, as we have returned to in-person worship. We did that about the middle of July, and uh, our numbers have steadily increased over time. And I pray for God's blessing and for His favor. I pray for His protection uh, on the services and all those who attend. But we also pray for all of you who continue to worship uh, online at home. I know this is a difficult time for all of us, and uh, we all have a a variety of different uh, realities in our lives that uh, lead to the decisions we make, that lead to the decision we make with regard to worship. But I want you to know that Sandy and I pray for you. We pray for uh, God's blessing on you and his protection on you. We pray for God's wisdom and discernment for you as you uh, contemplate when it is you might return to in-person worship. I, I miss you. I miss, I desperately miss having our church family together, but I know that God is in control of all the things that are happening right now, and I just want you to know that you're in my thoughts and my prayers. If you got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as we continue the Look of Love sermon series that we began several weeks ago. This is actually week five of the series, and we're going to finish it up next week. I'm going to begin our time together by reminding you of what I have said honestly, each and every week so far, uh, this Look of Love series is really just a verse-by-verse study of Romans chapter 9, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And more than anything else, we're looking at that passage because in that passage, Paul shows us what love is supposed to look like in the lives of ordinary believers like you and me. I got to just pause here in the introduction and tell you, I don't know about you, but Everything about this study so far has been convicting to me, and just so we're on the same page with regard to what I mean by convicting, the study and the teaching of this passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, has left me oftentimes with a very genuine sense of guilt, especially related to how I've responded at times to people who I think have been unkind to me. I was thinking recently about someone that I had a bad experience with and how, as a result of that experience, I pretty much decided that I was just done with them, uh, that I had zero interest in ever spending any time with them or being around them again. And then, as I thought about that, I began to think about a number of other people I had come to the same conclusion about, and as a result, that sense of guilt grew even larger because... It's not just difficult, friends, it's impossible to reconcile that kind of attitude and that kind of behavior with what Paul is writing in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. If the will of God is that Christians lead with love as we live our lives in the world, then there's just no room for writing someone off, even someone who has mistreated you. And so, as my mind continued, I I found myself asking, at least in my head, God, why did you have to make this so hard? I thought, you know, I would be okay if the will of God was simply, don't be unkind to anyone. I, I could say, no problem, check, just check it off my list, because I could find a way to not be unkind to everyone that I meet. That would be easy. And then I thought I would even be okay if the will of God was be nice to everyone. There's a difference between choosing not to be unkind to someone and choosing to be nice to someone. But even if the will of God was be nice to everyone, while it would still be difficult at times, I could do that. I could suck it up and be nice to someone, to anyone, no matter how mean or hateful they might be to me. But the Bible makes it clear That the will of God is for us to love everyone, and love is an action-oriented word. It's not, love is not just a feeling, it's a choice, it's an action, and that's just really hard. Why do you think God is so insistent on love? Why do you think it is that God is so insistent on us loving others? I could give you lots of biblical reasons. I mean, the truth is, if you've been a part of this study from the beginning, I've already given you lots of biblical reasons. But for the sake of this part of our message, let me just give you what might be viewed as a practical reason. Nothing is more powerful when it comes to making an impression on someone than love, genuine love. I've got a book in my library that honestly, I've had for a long, long time. It's called Let Me Tell You a Story, written by a man named Tony Campolo. Maybe you recognize that man. It's a book full of stories that illustrate different truths about God, about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, about the church, about the Christian life. And one of those stories is simply called Billy. And in that story, Campolo tells about how many years ago he was serving as a junior high counselor during a week of church camp. He writes, Junior high boys have a strange and often cruel sense of humor. There's a strong tendency for them to pick on some unfortunate, offbeat kid and ridicule him, making him the brunt of their jokes. This was certainly the case during this particular week of camp. They picked on a 13-year-old kid named Billy who had an obvious disability that didn't allow him to walk right or to talk right. He would drag his body across the campground in an awkward fashion, and when he spoke, his words were extremely slurred. He was difficult to understand. Campolo said that the other boys would make fun of him by mimicking the way he walked and the way he talked. But the cruelest thing they did was on a Thursday morning. Billy's cabin had been assigned to lead morning devotions, and his cabin mates all voted Billy to be the one to be the speaker. See, they wanted him to get up in front of everybody so that they could be entertained by his struggling attempts to say anything at all. Campolo writes, when I found out about it, I was furious, but there was nothing I could do. It didn't seem to bother Billy. Somehow, he dragged himself up to the podium as waves of snickers and laughter flowed through the audience. It probably took Billy a full half a minute to say these simple words he stuttered and slurred the words, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. That was his entire devotion. Campola says that when he looked around, all he saw were junior high boys with tears streaming down their cheeks and with their heads bowed. And he said, as a result of Billy's genuine testimony about his love for Jesus the entire camp had been changed. And that just reminds me, and I hope it reminds all of us, that there is something incredibly powerful about genuine and authentic love. It breaks down barriers. It reaches people. It changes lives. And God, who knows all things, knows that if ordinary believers, ordinary people like you and me can choose, and that's the key word here, can choose to love others, starting with one another and going on to the point where we can even love our enemies, incredible things can happen. Campolo said in the story that because of Billy's testimony, revival broke out in that church camp. And the same thing can happen in a church. The same thing can happen in a community. The same thing can happen even in the world, at least some corner of the world. And so... While this study that we're calling the look of love, which is a journey through Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, while it continues to be deeply convicting to me, what I really want to do is take another step with you in this journey and talk about Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 20 in a message called Love and Peace. If you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12, I can't remember if I asked you to do that or not, but if you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 12, I want you to follow along as I read the passage. And as I've done each and every week, uh, even though we just focus on a smaller part of the passage each week, I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. I'm going to start in verse 9 and finish in verse 21. Follow along as I read. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. All right, there it is. We always ask that God places his blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Clearly, there is a strong emphasis in this passage on loving your enemies, people who are opposed to you, people who seek to mistreat you and hurt you and persecute you. I mean, Paul begins the passage back in verse 9 by talking about the love that God has for us or the love that God wants for us talking about the importance of that being real and genuine because he begins the passage by saying in Romans 12 and verse 9 the first part of the verse love must be sincere we can't be hypocritical about our love and then he goes on and says as that love begins to work its way out into the world then the first place we see it or we need to see it is in the family of God we need to love one another as brothers and sisters of Christ in the family of God Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 the first part of the verse says be devoted to one another in brotherly love But then, when you get to verse 14, Paul turns his attention to loving our enemies. In verse 14 of Romans 12, he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And he just, friends, he just continues that theme throughout the passage until he gets to the end. Well, as we continue to talk about that this weekend, again, we find ourselves focused specifically on verses 18, 19, and 20. Those are the ones that we're going to talk about in our time together. That's where Paul writes and says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And so the question before us is, how do we live these words out in our daily lives? I'm going to try to make that clear. I'm going to try to answer that question by focusing on three specific words that I think will help help us understand the passage. If you'd like to take notes, then write down this first word somewhere. The first word, uh, and this is really related to verse 18, is the word reality. Write down the word reality. And here's what I mean by reality. As we look at Verse 18, the first part of our passage today, Paul reminds us that sometimes you just have to face the facts and see things as they really are. I think you'll see that as you listen to verse 18 once again. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so Paul, who's writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, acknowledges that sometimes there's only so much you can do when it comes to living at peace with someone. And we see that in two specific phrases. He says, if it is possible, and then he says, as far as it depends on you. Let me just ask you a simple question. Have you ever been in a situation where you have honestly tried, you have done your best to live at peace with someone, but no matter what you did, no matter how genuine you were in your pursuit of peace with that person, it just didn't happen? I'm sure many of us have had that experience. I certainly know that I have. We could talk about this for a long time, but really, I just want to try to make it as simple as possible by acknowledging two things. First, and this is just kind of a repeat of what I just said, there are times When no matter what you say or do, the belief or the attitude or the behavior of someone makes it impossible to live at peace with them. I don't think that requires a lot of explanation. You know what? Sometimes people just don't like you. Sometimes you get crossways with people and there's nothing you can do to straighten things out. I could go on, but I'm sure everybody understands that. In fact, I'm sure every one of you are probably thinking about A person just like that in the experience of your life. I know I thought about a lot of different people like that when I was writing this message. The second thing is this. I mean, first of all, sometimes, you know, we don't live at peace with people because it it just doesn't matter what we do. They don't like us. They don't want to have a relationship with us. There's too much difference on and on and on. But the second reason why sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with someone is because the defense of truth can sometimes make it impossible to live at peace. And here's what I mean by that. There have been different times, and this, friends, has happened to me in every single church that I have served, including this church. There are times, there are different times when someone had or has a belief or teaching that contradicts the truth of the Bible. And when that happens, you have to confront that. Because you can't, under any circumstance, you can't adopt a peace-at-any-price approach to your relationship with that person because truth, and now I'm talking about God's truth, truth can't be sacrificed for the sake of anyone or anything. It just can't. And so sometimes we have difficulty living at peace with people who are living in contradiction or promoting something that's in contradiction to the truth of God's word. I'm going to put a verse of scripture up on the screen from the book of James. It's James chapter 3 and verse 17. In that verse, James writes and says, But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Hang on to that. First of all pure. And then he goes on to say, Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Again, the very first thing that James says about wisdom that comes from above, which you could say is God's truth, is that it is pure. Now, the word pure that is used by James there in James 3 and verse 17 in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word hagnos. And basically, more than anything else, it means sacred. Sacred. Listen, there are some Truths when it comes to the Bible, and some truths when it comes to the Christian life that are not open for discussion because there's only one right meaning and there's only one right application. You can't compromise those things for the purpose of keeping peace. And so, again, we start off with this word reality to understand what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. Sometimes the reality of life is no matter what you do or how hard you try, you just can't live at peace with someone. We just have to understand that. But as quickly as I say that, I need to say this. Let's not focus on the reality or, excuse me, that reality to the point where we forget that we still need to do everything we can to try to live at peace with people. Remember what verse 18 said. It says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we still need to try. You see lots of encouragement for this in the Bible, in particular in the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs in the practical way it teaches us about life and living. For example, I'll just give you a few. For example, Proverbs 10 and verse 12, this verse actually goes well with our overall study. The proverb writer says, hatred stirs up dissension... But love covers over all wrongs. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. When we love others, then there is a grace that we have and that we extend to others. Now, again, we can't extend that grace when it comes to someone who is being um, um, wrong in terms of their belief about the Bible or what they're promoting to other people related to what the Bible says. But that's not what happens most of the time. Most of the time, our our relational problems are not based on biblical truth. They're based on attitudes and personalities and things like that. And so the proverb writer says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love, choosing to love covers over all wrongs. You go on in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16 says, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. It, it, do you find that that's something that you're learning more about as you get older and, and more mature in life, more seasoned in life? I find that to be the case for me. I mean, there was a time when I would never overlook an insult, but now pff, there's lots of times when I just let it go. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man, a wise man, a man who's seeking peace, overlooks an insult. How about Proverbs 15.1? A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes it's, not just a, sometimes it's a matter of not saying anything at all, and sometimes it's a matter of how you say whatever it is you say that can preserve peace. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a, dr- a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. How about that? Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter. Just move on. Forget about it before a dispute breaks out. Sometimes that's the best response. Proverbs 29 and verse 22 says, an angry man stirs up dissension. So don't be angry. Just chill a little bit. That's what somebody needs to tell me pretty much every day. Just chill a little bit. And that's a good way to preserve the peace. You know who's really good at this? And this is good for me because I need this up close and personal living, breathing example. Who's really good at this is my wife, Sandy. She's good at all of these verses here. I I don't know if you remember or not, but several years ago I told a story about how you know sometimes I just get I just get a little bit out of control and uh, uh, in in all kinds of settings. And she and I were playing golf one day, and I, I just uh, I just love it when she plays golf with me, and I love it when she plays good. And she wasn't having a good day that day, and and uh, I was kind of just just saying, well, stop doing this and start doing that, and come on, remember what you've been taught, and on and on and on. And I was probably not being as gentle uh, or encouraging about it as I should have been, and one time we were on a tee box and she was standing over Paul and I was rawr, rawr, like this and 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 then I kind of caught, kind of caught myself and realized what I was doing and I paused and I looked at her and I said don't you have anything to say in response and without even looking up from her tee ball she just simply said these words when words are many sin is not absent which is right from the book of proverbs and it struck me right in the heart she's really good at this Uh, The bottom line is, is that while there will be times in our lives when no matter what we do, it's not possible to live at peace with some people for more than one reason, we still try to promote peace. And oftentimes, the promotion of peace is really pretty simple. It just takes some maturity on our part. The second word that I've got down in my notes to help us understand this passage, and number one was the word reality, and that was focused on verse 18. The second word is the word restraint, and that's focused on what Paul writes in verse 19. In Romans twelve nineteen, Paul says, "'Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord.'" Now, honestly, the thing that stands out to me the most about that verse is that it comes to us in the form of what I call a precept, which is basically a commandment from God. I don't know if you'll remember this, but over the years, I've often said that I believe the Bible addresses pretty much all the realities of life in one of two ways, either by precept or by principle. A precept is a clear command that can only be interpreted one way, while a principle is a guide, a truism that can have a variety of different applications in our lives dependent upon the circumstance. Well, these words in Romans 12 and verse 19 come to us as a precept. Paul doesn't say, do not take revenge, my friends, except under these three circumstances, and then list those three circumstances. He simply says, do not take revenge, my friends. Now, is this a precept that's difficult to obey? Absolutely it is. Absolutely. But this is the precept. This is the command of God. And in the end, whether or not we obey this precept, whether or not we obey this command comes down to whether or not we can trust God with whatever pain or whatever loss we're experiencing, with whatever it is that's caused us to feel like we need to seek revenge. When I was thinking about this verse, uh, I quickly realized that the good news for all of us is we have a perfect example in the scriptures of what this looks like, what this restraint looks like. I've got my place marked in Romans chapter 12, so I can turn in my Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, you can do the same. You can hold your place there in Romans 12 and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 if you'd like, because I want to read a brief passage of scripture there. Uh, Peter is a uh, is writing to us about Jesus as our example in verses 19 through 23. And listen to what he says. He says, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is, and again he uses this word, commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, listen to this, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but Peter writes some positive things about not seeking revenge when someone does you harm. Let me just point out two of them. First, he says it's pleasing to God. When you choose to not seek revenge for something done to you, then that's pleasing to God. I go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19, and it says, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because, listen to this, because he is conscious of God. Or in other words, because he's conscious of the will of God or the instruction of God or the precept of God about not seeking vengeance. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. You know what really is interesting to me about that verse is the word commendable that peter uses it and uses and he actually uses it another time here in our text that word commendable that he uses in the original language of the new testament is the greek word charis now that may or may not be familiar to you that is actually the most that is actually the word that is most commonly translated as grace in our bibles the word grace in the original language is the greek word charis in this particular verse 1 Peter two nineteen it's translated commendable. And the word grace, at the end of the day, more than anything else, basically means God's favor. It's a word that talks about the favor of God. And so Peter's not saying that enduring mistreatment without seeking revenge is a good thing because it shows you're a good person. That's not what he's saying. He's saying enduring mistreatment without seeking revenge is a good thing because it puts you in a position to experience the favor of Or the grace of God. Think of it like this. When you've been mistreated, you might think getting even will make you happy. When the reality is choosing not to get even will make God happy. And God, as a result, will somehow share his happiness in the form of grace in some part of your life. The second positive thing Peter writes in that passage about not choosing to seek revenge is when we choose to not seek revenge, it helps us to identify with Christ. Verse 21 says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And friends, I hope that you understand as a Christian that being like Christ, being like Jesus, is perhaps the highest calling for all of us when it comes to our Christian lives. You know, I, I thought some time ago, I, had, I thought, you know, if, what, how would be a, what would be an easy way to describe to someone what it is God wants us to experience in our lives as we turn our hearts toward him? And I would, I would describe that like this. Number one, he wants us to experience a person. He wants us to experience the person of Jesus. He wants us to, to have a personal encounter with Jesus that results in our salvation. Number two, I would say he wants us to experience a process. And the process would be he wants us to become more and more like Jesus with every passing day. And then number three, I would say God wants us to experience a purpose because he wants us to begin now to live like Jesus. And so I think this is the will of God for all men everywhere. He wants us all to experience a person that's Jesus and have a Uh, a life-changing experience as a result of meeting Jesus, receiving in our our lives the new and better life that he has to offer. Then he wants us to experience a process. He wants us with every passing day to become more and more like Jesus. And then he wants us to experience a purpose. He wants us to live like Jesus as we live our lives in this world. And this is one of the ways that we live like Jesus. We choose not to seek revenge when mistreatment comes into our lives. Instead, we trust God. And the only way to do that is to exercise restraint, spiritual restraint. Let me give you one last word, the third word. And just like um, um, uh, the uh, word reality was connected to verse 18, the word restraint was connected to verse 19. This third word, the word response, is connected to verse 20. In verse 20, Again, of Romans chapter 12, Paul writes and says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And so instead of responding with vengeance, Paul says we need to respond with kindness. Instead of seeking to get even with someone who has hurt us or mistreated us or persecuted us, we need to show them kindness, practical kindness. We need to find ways to minister to them and try to bless them. In James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on the book of Romans, he says, he calls, he calls it this. He, he says, we need to seek active goodness. We need to practice active goodness toward those who have hurt us. And the interesting thing about this Paul used the example of, you know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. But the most interesting thing about verse 20 to me is when Paul says the result of this act of kindness, this pursuit of kindness in the life of someone who's mistreated you is it will be like heaping burning coals on his head. What does that mean? Well, there are a lot of different thoughts on what that means, including the ancient custom of when someone... Well, this was an Egyptian custom, actually. When someone wanted to demonstrate sorrow and contrition for something they had done, they would carry a, ban, a pan of burning coals on their head to represent the burning pain of their shame and their guilt. And so, in some people's minds, you know, heaping burning coals on someone's head by, who is your enemy by being kind to them exposes their guilt and their shame. But I think a better way of understanding it is this. Heaping burning coals on someone's head is, I mean, if you think about it from a practical standpoint, that's a horrific kind of a thing. And so heaping burning coals on someone's head is a punishment that no one can bear. No one can stand it for very long. You have to yield to it eventually. And I think Paul is just saying that genuine kindness is the same way because genuine heartfelt kindness is difficult for anyone to withstand, even someone who hates you, even someone who is bent on hurting you. Genuine kindness, like genuine love, breaks down barriers. And I like that expl- explanation better than the first because, honestly, that first explanation, the idea of heaping burning coals on someone's head exposing is exposing their guilt and their shame, that feeds my flesh. That feeds the natural man inside of me. But this second explanation of just showing someone kindness that is so powerful that it can't be ignored, that they can't withstand it, that feeds my spirit. If I was to respond to someone who had mistreated me or hurt me with kindness so that I could shame them for the mistreatment, I don't think my kindness would be sincere, and I don't think God, that act of kindness with that kind of attitude or motivation would honor God. But if I was kind to someone to break down the barrier that was between us and try to establish a relationship and a bond that was genuine and real, then that would benefit both of us and that would honor God. See, here's, here's the bottom line about everything we've talked about today. This is just another example of how God calls us to live a higher life, a different life, a better life, a more noble life, and it takes a lot of spiritual maturity, a lot of spiritual growth and a lot of spiritual maturity to be able to do that, to be able to obey words like these from the Apostle Paul, but at the end of the day, that's what we need to aspire to because we really should think about this teaching from Paul like this. Anger and bitterness and vengeance never, ever draw us closer to God. Never. Under any circumstance, anger and bitterness and vengeance vengeance never draw us closer to God. And not only that, they never really become satisfied inside of us apart from God. Because no matter how much uh, vengeance we get, ultimately we'll still be left feeling empty. So when it comes to matters of anger and bitterness, and in particular, vengeance. We need to trust God. Trusting God is our only real option because trusting God is the only thing that will actually give us what we seek, what we want. We might initially think, when someone has hurt us or mistreated us or persecuted us, that what we want is vengeance. What we want is for them to pay. But God wants something more. God wants transformation. He wants the transformation of our life that comes from trusting him to deal with our enemies. And he wants the transformation that could possibly come into the life of someone who has hurt us or mistreated us or persecuted us because of the kindness and the genuine love that we showed to them in the face of their actions. See, this is all about taking steps every single day of our lives toward the life that God calls us to, a new life, a better life a different life, a life that honors God, and a life that makes a difference in this broken world. I hope that you feel the conviction of that in your heart like I do today. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for a chance to open up the Bible and study it together. And uh, as we do each and every week, we just simply pray that you would take these words and that you would really not just apply them to our hearts but pierce our hearts with these words convict our hearts with these words in a way that changes or leads to changes in the way we live our lives help us to help us to aspire every day because we have experienced the person of Jesus to experience the process of becoming like him so we can live with a purpose of being like him in each and every day of our lives. That's my prayer in his name. Amen.